Hi, my name is Roberta Jones, and I look at the past to see into the future. Out in the middle of the wine-dark sea, there is a land called Crete, a rich and lovely land washed by the sea on every side. And in it are many peoples in 90 cities. Among the cities is Knossos, a great city. And there, Minos was nine years king, the boon companion of mighty Zeus. This is how the Greek poet Homer sang about the ever-mysterious island of Crete in the Iliad. And it would have surely sparked so much curiosity among archaeologists and explorers that in 1899, British archaeologist Sir Arthur Evans set off for Crete to find the remains of that prosperous civilization that Homer sang of. And I bet he would have never imagined he would be the one to give the name to an entire civilization. He revealed the ruins of a wonderful palace on the northern coast of Crete that predated the Mycenaeans and was built by an incredibly advanced and still mysterious civilization that he baptized the Minoans. This palace is now known as the Palace of Knossos, a gigantic intertwining masterpiece of art and engineering made up of 1,300 rooms connected by labyrinthine corridors that covered around 14,000 square metres, basically the size of more than two football fields. The palace had large courts, colonnades, staircases, religious crypts, light wells, extensive drainage systems, including possibly the first ever flushing toilet, large storage rooms in which precious pottery and votive statuettes were found, and even theatre areas for public spectacles or religious processions. The excavations show two phases of the construction of the palace. The palace was initially constructed around 2000 BCE, and following destructive earthquakes and fires, it was rebuilt in 17,000 BCE. The second palace survived until its final destruction between 15,000 and 13,000 BCE, once again by either an earthquake, a fire, or possibly an invasion, or a combination of all three. Even if the palace was perhaps slightly over-renovated by Evans and his team, if you go and visit the palace today, you can still admire the colourful colonnades, some of the frescoes, and even the throne room, a room containing what is considered to be the oldest throne in Europe. Now, this discovery led Evans to speculate that the palace had been governed by a king, and so he decided to call the civilization that built the palace the Minoans, after the mythical king Minos. According to the legend, Minos was the famous king of Crete, who every year sacrificed seven boys and seven girls summoned from Athens to the half-man, half-bull Minotaur, who, believe it or not, was his stepson and lived in a labyrinth. Now, you might be wondering, how did the king of Crete end up having a half-man, half-bull stepson? Well, it all started with Zeus, as always, who fell in love with Europa, daughter of the king of Phoenicia, and so to hide the affair from Hera, his jealous wife, he transformed himself into a handsome white bull and brought Europa to Crete. And there, under a plain tree, he ravished her and promised her that her name would live forever and would name the continent to the north. 
From this rather unusual encounter, Minus was born and seems to have been destined to have complicated relationships with bulls. In fact, Minus wanted prosperity for his kingdom, so he promised Poseidon that if he sent him a strong and powerful bull, he'd sacrifice it. So the bull ascended from the abyss, but it was so beautiful that Minus decided to not sacrifice it, and instead he put the pretty bull in his stables and sacrificed another less pretty bull. This made, of course, Poseidon mad, so he put a curse on Pasiphae, Minus's wife, so that she would fall madly in love with the white pretty bull. So Pasiphae started to develop feelings for this bull, but she knew that she couldn't just, you know, make love with the bull in the open air. So she had Daedalus, an Athenian architect, make her a wooden fake bull so she could climb inside it and mate with the beloved bull without, of course, creating too much suspicion. From this other rather bizarre encounter, Pasiphae gave birth to a half-man, half-bull creature called the Minotaur. Now, as if things weren't complicated enough, the Minotaur only ate human flesh. So because the Minotaur was the son of his wife after all, and probably to avoid further curses upon him, he had the trusted Daedalus build a labyrinth in his palace so he could hide this embarrassment and provided for the stepson by ordering unlucky boys and girls to be sacrificed to the Minotaur every year. The serpentine structure of the palace was probably the source of the Greek concept of a labyrinth and probably inspired the Greek myth. However, even Evans concluded that the palace wasn't the exclusive residence of a king, but rather the centre of economic and religious power of the island. As a matter of fact, it was probably a bit remissive of Evans to call an entire civilization after a mythical king, as it might have well been a queen. In fact, since the Minoan alphabet, the so-called Linear A, still hasn't been deciphered, most of the things we know about the Minoans come from their artworks, tools and monuments, and there is no evidence of a male ruler in Minoan art. Actually, most of the frescoes and artworks depict women. Or bulls. Traditionally, men were at the centre of ancient civilizations, and women were often perceived as the ones who stayed at home and looked after the children. But for Minoan women, this was not the case. On the contrary, most of the frescoes depict goddesses, priestesses or female members of an elite class, and when women are depicted with men, women are often in a central position or larger in size than their male counterparts. Minoan art is clearly telling us that women had a prominent role in Minoan society. In one particular famous fresco in the Palace of Knossos, called The Ladies in Blue, we can see three women dancing and having a good time. What stands out is that these women are purposefully exposing their full, voluminous breasts. However, they are not, as a modern viewer might think, prostitutes, but members of the elite class, as we can tell from their elaborate necklaces, bracelets and hair ornaments which display the wealth of the Minoan court. Even the shrine idols were all female, so were the deities and priestesses depicted on seal impressions, which were widely used in Minoan Crete as stamps of ownership and identity, and it has been speculated that they were the Bronze Age equivalent of credit cards. 
one of the prime pieces of evidence in support of the view that women had a predominant role in Minoan religion is the snake goddess. Many statuettes of the snake goddess were found in the storage room of the palace of Knossos, and they have a very distinctive Minoan style. The snake goddess wears the characteristic flounced skirt, and like the free ladies in blue, she wears makeup and jewelry, and again, her bosom is on display. The exposed breasts, glamour and sensuality has led many academics to see her as a goddess of fertility, and indeed she was responsible for the fertility of the animals and the land. However, there is also something quite strange, quite sinister and powerful about this goddess. She holds a snake in each hand and has a wild, strong stare. She's not merely a pleaser and a childbearer, but demands respect. On Minoan Crete, a fertility deity would presumably be invoked to ensure abundant crops or the plentiful production of lambs and kids among the herds of sheep and goats. The lives of the Minoans depended on her, and so she had to be treated with due respect. Evans certainly supported the prevailing views about the existence of a mother goddess in the prehistoric period. And so when the snake goddess came to light in 1903, he not only identified her as a goddess, but also claimed that she was worshipped by the Minoans as an aspect of the mother goddess. But was the snake goddess actually the mother goddess or one of the many Minoan goddesses? For some scholars, there was one absolute mother goddess. But actually, Cretan artifacts tell us that probably Minoan culture was filled with different mother goddesses who each played an important role in the order of nature. It is clear that the Minoan civilization was incredibly advanced for its time. It had a networking trade, a writing system, massive building complexes and indoor plumbing systems, tools and artworks. And yet, what is so unusual is that despite this power, there is no sign of warfare in the archaeological remains. There are no fortifications around the Palace of Knossos or elsewhere on the island and no frescoes or statues of war heroes. There are no images that hint at their domination and control over nature through their sophisticated technology and skills. Instead, it is filled with images of nature that reflected a constant effort to be at peace with it. So I wonder, could there maybe be some significant connection between the female-centered religious imagery of this technologically sophisticated culture and its apparent reluctance to use its technology to destroy and exploit nature. Another revealing image of the status of women in Minoan society is the famous Toreador fresco, in which young women, shown with the conventional white skin and darker-skinned men, engage in the dangerous sport that appears to involve somersaulting over the back of a bull. Men and women are depicted as athletic and strong, with long, curly, dark hair. They are daring athletes, vaulting seniorly over the body of a bull. Although it is difficult to decipher exactly what these figures are doing, the context and their proximity to the raging bull clearly denote a game or ritual that involves bravery, agility and skill. 
qualities which in any other contemporary Eastern Mediterranean culture would have been thought as residing exclusively within the domain of men. The fact that they are being demonstrated also by young women in the Minoan fresco strongly suggests that women occupied a significant place in society in ancient Crete. According to the legend, the Minotaur was killed by Theseus with the help of Ariadne more than 5,000 years ago. However, more than 100 years after Evans' discoveries, some claim that the Minotaur is still alive and continues to claim his victims. The famous Greek economist Yanis Varoufakis calls the US neoliberal economy the global Minotaur, as he is convinced that just as the Cretan monster fed on young Athenians offered as a sign of servitude to the Minoan civilization, the European Union pays every year for its subservience to the American economy by offering millions of euros as tribute for it to devour. Perhaps then we need to invent a stronger narrative to stop the dangerous contemporary Minotaur. Now, there is an artist I really like called Kristen Visbol, who in 2017 installed in front of the charging bull in Wall Street, you know, emblem of capitalism, a little girl that faces him with a challenging attitude called Fearless Girl. Now, perhaps we should take inspiration from the Fearless Girl and the Minoan women and challenge the bull. But this time, not the legendary ones, not the ones, of course, actually present in nature, but the ferocious beast of turbo-capitalism. You've just listened to Roberta Jones, looking at the past to see into the future, a podcast created by me, Emberardo Carboni, with soundtrack, editing and sound design by Matteo D'Alessandro. <laughs>